Blog Talk Radio. Celebrating their 20th year in radio broadcasting with views not heard in the news. The International Taz and Paula Show interviews experts from all walks of life, bridging research and personal life journeys, revealing new ways to unleash life with a passion of a heartbeat. And now, here's Taz and Paula. Well, here's to a fabulous day to all the listeners, wherever you are. Today, we're taking an amazing journey with our guest, Julia Shopik, as she empowers and opens doors for honest medicine that supports people with healthy health choices. Her work and essays have been featured in the British Medical Journal, Modern Maturity, and Chicago Sun-Times. Julia's mission is to use her writing and public relations skills to inform the world about little-known but promising treatments via her website, her presentations, and her book, Honest Medicine. Taz, I'm really excited to get going <laughs> on this interview. There's going to be so much to learn. And uh, I love the way that our world is progressing. You are now listening to the Taz and Paula Show, and I'm Paula. Paula, I also get excited when we talk about honest medicine it makes me so excited. Our world is changing so rapidly. It's great to have someone with grounded skills to help one line up some sense to what's taking place in the field of medicine and to feel an empowerment, like um, someone is holding our hand along with the steps we take. And Julia Schopek is the creator of an award-winning blog, honestmedicine.com, and has been a published writer and a public relations consultant for more than 25 years. She is a best-selling author of the book, Honest Medicine, Effective Time-Tested, Inexpensive Treatments for Life-Threatening Diseases. Plus, Julia is a seasoned radio talk show host, uh, excuse me, a guest, who has appeared on many radio shows, including Coast to Coast with George Norrie. Julia, you are in an incredible breath of fresh air. We are so fortunate to have you with us. Welcome. Thank you so, so much. I really, really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to it, too. Great. Julia, you have this huge, huge gift to life for others that emanates and surrounds you, at what age did you feel this energy being released from you to become a health advocate for humanity? And were you like this also during your younger years? You know, I have never been asked that question, but I, you made me, you're making me think way back, and yes, um, my mother tells the story, you're going to love this, of uh, this was the age before kids the the uh, kids were thought to be uh, stolen if they if they left their parents' side. Okay, I have to say that you know how they send out a, a an alert if the parent can't find. Anyway, my mother would lose me in stores, and she would go and find me. And this is when I was four years old. I didn't walk till I was like two, but she would find me at four years old, and I would be surrounded by a bunch of senior citizens. 
And she says, my mom says they would be telling me about their health problems. You know, they would say, well, one of them would say, oh, I have rheumatism. I'd be, and I'd be nodding my head, you know, um, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> and she says, you know, that it was absolutely strange because, but she, she got a kick out of it. But yes. Um, and then my dad was a doctor, and you're making me think back. Um, he he did teach me to be wary of the medical system, which we can get we can talk about uh, in a while. But I do want to tell you, I was always fascinated by you know his office was attached to our house, and I was always fascinated. I would say, Dad, can I come in and watch? And he would actually let me come in and watch him with patients. And I remember you know a lot of the patients, and he would say, This is my assistant, and I was pretty little. <laughs> so yes, I at a at, at quite an early age, I was very very interested. And then of course, when my husband was diagnosed with a cancerous brain tumor, I really really had to. Uh, become a patient advocate for him? So the answer is yes, uh, from a very early age. So thanks for asking that. I can see you with your little stethoscope. (laughs) I didn't have a stethoscope. I just was, my mother says I was like, I I know what you mean, in the office, but I was just nodding my head. And she said, you really seem to understand their, their suffering and their complaints, you know? Wow. I'm surprised that you didn't become a doctor. Well, in the, in those days, girls were not encouraged to become doctors, even yeah. if their father thought they were smart, you know? <laughs> well, let's go where the journey of uh, you beginning to be an advocate because of your uh, husband's brain tumor. Did you go along with what the doctors were telling you the treatment should be at the beginning? You know what? This is what I am glad you're asking because part of the reason I'm out there talking and trying to help other people is because I know it's going to be hard to believe because I did grow up with a dad who told me, don't listen to everything doctors tell you. He even had stronger language. If a doctor tells you he knows all the answers, run like blank, you know. And uh, But the answer is when you're confronted with a diagnosis of your beloved husband, he was only 40 years old, and they say brain tumor, cancer. Even I, I re- I'm, as I'm saying it now, my heart is kind of pounding in my in my chest because we, yes, we did everything the doctor said and nothing more, nothing less. We did the uh, sur- surgery, and that was necessary, by the way, because he had a brain tumor the size of an orange. I mean, you just couldn't pray it away or anything. You know, it's huge. And we did the chemo, and we did the radiation, and then I began to see that he was suffering every side effect, and I say every side effect, every complication that one could get from the treatments, not from the tumor itself, because that actually was easy to take out. It was near the surface. But he began to get, oh, a radiation-caused stroke, and he had hydrocephalus, which is water on the brain, and all of these things, you know, not the the stroke, but the hydrocephalus and many other things uh, they they had to do more operations for. And uh, so he was in the hospital a great deal. And at a certain point, I think it was about the three-year mark, I began to say, woo, you know, he's already outlived his prognosis because the doctors actually gave him 18 months to three years. And, of course, I was paralyzed for at least with fear for at least three of those years, you know. But he was outliving his prognosis. And I said, you know, you better start doing some research. And that's when I finally kicked into gear. And I want to tell people, 
trust your intuition and kick into gear more quickly than I did. But luckily, um, we found a nutritionist whose name was Jean Wallace, and she was amazing. She cleaned up his diet. She gave him supplements, and uh, he began to thrive. And uh, I was surprised that the doctors were not at all curious about what we were doing. Of course, they noticed he was their star patient, but they were not at all curious about what we were doing, and that saddened me. And then later, when he had a recurrence of the tumor, I began to find out that not only were they not interested, but they they were kind of hostile to some of the things, especially when I found something that literally saved his life. I, his, his skin would not heal after the 2001 recurrence. And, I, you know, he had eight additional surgeries where they tried to make the skin heal. And with each one, he just it didn't work. And he just got sicker and sicker and more and more brain injured. And it was just frightening. And finally, through a uh, colleague that I met through my PR practice, my public relations practice, I found something that it was called Silverlawn. And it's one of the four treatments that is featured in, in Honest Medicine in my book because it is a, it's pieces of material that literally you put them on a wound. It's FDA approved for all non-healing wounds. We put it on his head, and it's a long, dramatic story about how I got permission to put it on his head when he was in the hospital. That was a feat in itself. Oh, I bet. It was. You know, they don't like you bringing in uh, in treatments that they don't know about. But it's a long story, and basically I did get the president of the company that makes Silverlawn, and I got Tim's doctor, the neurosurgeon, on the line together with me. And the doctor, he was out of tricks. You know, he had done eight surgeries, and none of them had worked. And he said, okay, you can put this stuff on his head. And I did. I had to put it on because they didn't know how to do it. And uh, lo and behold, the next day, his skin started healing for the first time in eight months. Wow. I know. Wow. What did the doctors say when they saw that? This is the very sad thing. They were not, they, they didn't show happiness. You know, I thought they'd be over the moon. I was. I was so excited. And I thought, well, something is going wrong here. And then one doctor came up to me. He was, an, he was an intern, and he told me what was going on. He said, you know, we don't think it was what you found that worked. And he had the accent on you. And <laughs> said, well, what do you think it was? I mean, we put the silver line on his head at night, and in the morning it's starting to heal, you know, for the first time, you know, in, in eight surgeries, eight months. And uh, the doctor said, well, we think it was vancomycin, and that was the IV antibiotic. And I said, but he's been on that, on vancomycin for at least six weeks. And the doctor said, yeah, yeah, uh, we know. But vancomycin is like that. It kicks in. Oh, wow. Uh, that's infuriating. <laughs> How would you have felt if somebody said that to you? <laughs> I would have been infuriated. <laughs> I think my mouth would drop open. My mouth did drop open, and that's why I didn't have a retort. (laughs) You couldn't believe what you were hearing. (laughs) I didn't, but, you know, I began to think, and I said something is very, very wrong with the medical system as it is in this country, that 
doctors are not interested in learning any, about anything new that they haven't learned about, you know, in their school or in their publications. And uh, this was particularly troubling to me because there are loads of patients with brain tumors, especially if they're getting a surgery after they've had radiation, where the skin just doesn't heal. And this would have been something that could have helped a lot of their patients, and they simply weren't interested. So it was very sad for me. Can that also help people with diabetes, that they have wounds that don't heal? That's exactly, you're you're exactly uh, saying, you know, the doctor who told me about it that I met through my uh, PR practice, Dr. Carlos Reynas, that's exactly how he knew about it because he used it for diabetic wounds and also for for burns. And he said, you know, he was a creative doctor. And he said, what, you know, you have, your husband has a wound and it's also kind of like a burn because, you know, it's post-radiation. And he said, it's FDA approved for all non-healing wounds. Why don't you try it? So we did. And uh, I was just very, very, you know, when when the doctors didn't think it had it had been the silver lawn, I was just very, very committed to trying to help other people because how long how how long has the um, silver lawn been around? I'm asking oh, this question. Good question, question that I'm not sure I can answer. Um, I can I can get if anybody wants to find out. Um, I I can send them, they write to me at julietonestmedicine.com and I can find the FDA approval. But what I can tell you is that silver, before the invention of antibiotics, silver was routinely used, especially for wounds in places like Johns Hopkins. And uh, then when antibiotics were developed and, you know, a lot of the uh, pharmaceuticals, you know, the topical uh, things, then silver began to fall out of favor, as is the case with several treatments in my book. Um, you know, they just, pharmaceutical companies kind of rule the roost is what, I'm fi- what I found. The reason why I was asking about how long it's been around, I had second and third degree burns from an accident, <gasps> and I don't know what it was, but it sounds like that's what they put on my burns. Yes. Was it a, was it material? Yes. Yes. Or was it a salve? It was material. Ma- material. Good. Because I say good because the salves, if you have a very serious kind of burn or or wound that won't heal, you know, the salves are kind of messy and they don't, you know, they they don't do as well. The material is fantastic, and it is impregnated with silver ions. There are actually several different brands of it. Uh, the silver lawn is what worked for us, and I began doing um, some research on it and comparing it, you know, to the other brands of the silver, of the silver nylon or whatever it is, you know, materials. And uh-huh. silver lawn has the most silver in it of all of them. And of, of course, I'm partial to it. You know, I actually wrote an article called uh, Silver Lawn and Surgery, Our Quest for Healing. And it was in the National Brain Tumor Foundation newsletter. The reason I wrote that article, I, I actually called them and asked if I could, was that the doctors weren't interested and I wanted to get the word to patients. So is it a bandage too or is it just material? It's like it, you make it into a bandage. The reason yeah. that you have to cut it to be the size, it has. this is very interesting, it has to be put on over the wound 
and it must be larger than the wound because in my in my book in honest medicine i have dr flick i'm not very good with the medical myself so i quote other people and dr bart flick who invented it tells how the healing energy it has to be put on beyond where the wound is you know if the wound is only one centimeter uh, around it's got to be maybe three centimeters you know piece of material yeah brings the healing potential as he calls it from the good skin to the bad and so but it has to be yes it's made into a bandage and you cut it to be the the right size it actually comes in different sizes but uh you know i think it's a three by three square that is most used that is most often used and i've even seen band-aids made with the silver lawn in them so but i don't know much about that i know about the material that's that's put out it's it's a miracle it sounds like what they used on me, and I have, I have absolutely no scarring. So, it's wonderful. It's wonderful mm-hmm. stuff. So, and does it actually help the circulation in the body as well? Oh, that's a good question, and I'm not sure of the answer to that. And it must because it does, you know, do something to activate the healing. So, my guess would be yes, and uh, it's an amazing, amazing invention. Well, it's like silver. I'm I'm thinking the silver is actually, it works with bacteria and viruses and things like that, you know, the silver itself. But but maybe just being able to alleviate that creates the other um, circulation to head in because... But that's really that's really really interesting. I was thinking of people that you know sometimes when they have diabetes they have these huge bruises underneath their their skin and I was thinking putting that on there. But there must be something else to make that that the blood that's underneath the skin change. I don't know. Maybe you know of something that. There's something else, though. It's also used a lot for bed sores. And, uh, you know, when people have been too long in in the hospital and they're not turned enough, one of my friends uh, called me frantic. You know, after I wrote that article in the National Brain Tumor Foundation, the the people at the company were so happy. Of course, I didn't get a dime. You know, that's not the point. But they said, you know, if any of your friends, you know, ever need help, we can, we'll, we'll be there for them. And one of my good friends had a mother-in-law in the hospital, non-healing bed sore, and they put Silverlon on, and that bed sore healed right up. So wow. it's, it's amazing stuff. And you know what? When my husband was dying, um, and this is a long story, it's, 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 it's in my book, it's in Honest Message, but this part of it that I'm about to tell you isn't. When he was dying, he was uh, in hospice and he did get a bed sore. And I said, I want to get Silverlon, and they would not order it for me. So I said, well, forget it, I'm ordering it for myself. And I did, and put it on his skin, and it healed his bed, it healed his bed sores. Oh, wow. I know. Am I sounding like it? I hope I'm not sounding like it's snake oil because it really isn't. So. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I think, well, you know, I've had some experience with um, even silver and and understand exactly what you're saying. And that's awesome to be able to have the bandage or the or the material. That's uh, well, that's. I, I don't see why they have problems with it if it's FDA approved. I mean... Because it's not something that is in their formulary, you know. There is a uh, a chapter in my book, in Honest Medicine, where Dr. Bert Berkson, 
who's one of the heroes of my book, talks about how doctors are not educated. Education means, you know, you think outside the box, you ask questions. He says they're trained. And they're trained to just follow orders, what they learned in med school, what they learn in their journals. And if it hasn't been written up for a particular purpose, you know, as in non-healing head wound, you know, they just are not wanting to try it. Well, you know what? They've taken a lot of years to get their medical degree, and they're afraid of having their hands, um, you know, tied. Yeah. And well, so this can't be the medical aspects. So yeah. I think, you know, there there's a complete whole aspect here that that you know if we can really understand. It's not maybe that they don't want to do it or, or want to admit it. You know. You know what? I hate to be argumentative, but I don't think it's good to to give people a pass for not being curious. You know. <laughs> well, Taz, remember Mike, um, uh, uh-huh. Doctor Mike. We knew a doctor, we we were uh, with him, and he was, like, experimenting with energy healing. But um, he's an MD in our area, and he was always on the computer constantly looking for different things. And I thought, oh, wow, I wish there were more doctors out there like that. Yeah, and, you know, when my dad, I, rem- I remember, you're bringing back another memory for me, but, you know, my dad would take calls from patients in our home. You know, the exchange would call, and then he'd call the patients back. And I distinctly remember him saying many, many times, I don't know the answer to that, but I'll find it and get back to you. And he was a curious. He would have loved the Internet. You know, he, he wasn't practicing when the Internet was around, but he definitely <laughs> loved it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. No, but we're really wonderful. fortunate now to be able to have access to the Internet to to even bring that knowledge to us and for you to have so much packed in your book on Honest Medicine. Uh, you know, this well, is... You know, the title, Honest Medicine, does that mean that you think medicine is dishonest? I mean, that's oh my, my first God. thought. Where did you hear that question? <laughs> I'm laughing because... <laughs> Did you listen to my video? <laughs> yes. <laughs> because the first show I was on, you're so funny, and you're right. The first show I was on was Dr. Ron Hoffman's show, and, uh, you know, he's got a show in New York on WOR, and uh, I know him, so, you know, I, but, but he threw me a left curve with that question. He said, do you think that that, that means that most of, of medicine is dishonest? And I said, yep. And he said, you don't pull any punches, do you? And I said, nope. (laughs) But, yeah, you know what? It is. My website is called honestmedicine.com, but if you look at the masthead, it says Honest Medicine, My Dream for the Future. And I'm hoping that my book is a step into that future with treatments that really are honest medicine treatments. So I really, really, really should trademark that name because somebody else is going to get it. Well, you know what? I need to step in here, and I and I hate to be the <laughs> the advocate that, that says something like this. And and I and I'm a firm believer, like you are. Paula knows who I am, and I I deal with all this stuff. But I have heard patients come back, and um, patients are having success with herbs and things like that, and they they don't necessarily um, say what they're using to the doctors. But the fact is, is that when the doctor sees them 
you know, they see the transition with tumors and things like that, they're actually, the doctor says, wow, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. Yeah, yeah. So (laughs) they might not, you know what I mean, they might not be able to say anything beyond their protecting themselves, but they at least say that, and I've heard that come back many times. So, you know what, I, I, you know, I, I think our, our whole system is changing in progression, and thank God, because, you know what, a lot of this stuff will be able to be added, and and things will soften, And but we need to know what is available, and I love that. That is awesome. Well, Taz, you know, I... I agree with you that that's a good sign that they're saying, you know, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. But as a human being, I'm like, aren't you at all curious, doctor? <laughs> you, know, you saw a miraculous, I don't want to use that, again, it sounds like, you know, but you see a profound change in a patient. And the patient says, I'm doing something that is, you know, different. As a human being, I would have to say, what is it? Tell me, you know. But you're right. They usually say, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. In other words, they're well, saying, go, 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 you know, and I, and, I, and I think that's a wonderful response, at least acknowledging what the patient is doing yeah. and, you know. Well, yeah. we, live in the state of Cal- we live in the state of California, and California has some really strict uh, regulations uh, that doctors have to follow there's only certain things that they can do for cancer. They can't go beyond those certain things. I know every state's not that way, but California is. So the doctor's hands are tied in the state as far as treating cancer. Aren't you shocked by that? I've heard that before. I know it's true. But we think of California as a very creative, you know, with with lots of different treatments. But I hear that their hands, especially with cancer, that is true. They're totally tied. Yeah. That's absolutely the truth, but I. But on the underside, I do know that they are they are observing. They just can't say, and and so I think eventually a lot of this, the strings will loosen, you know. And but in the meantime, they do have to protect themselves. Yeah. And I really honor the doctors that I know that are that are really like that. Um, yeah, it's a you know it's it they're they're stepping up as far as they can step up and still uh, be able to operate. So yeah, I, I I think you're right. And in states like there are some states like I believe Texas where the medical boards really go after doctors that do anything different. So it's kind of yeah, scary. yeah exactly. But uh, your book is like oh it is so gorgeous and so wonderful to be able to see. You know the information out there, and people can delve into it. And I, you know, I really honor all of the work that you've put into it. It's just, it's wonderful. Well, thank you, because I, I've got to tell you, I, it was a mission of mine to to get the word out. You know, one about that you have to trust your own intuition um, when you're when you're sick or when a loved one is sick. But two. I wanted to get the word out that there are treatments for life-threatening diseases that your doctor may not know about, and even if you were to tell him or her about it, might not be open to trying it, and it's up to you to do the research, to find it, and then to to go further. Mm-hmm. Now, in your book, you talk about low-dose naltrexone, if I'm pronouncing yep. it correctly. You are. Uh, 
you said yourself that you take that. I do. I take it, and this is funny because one of the chapters in my book, um, in, in Honest Medicine, by David Gluck, I believe it's chapter 11, he talks about that his whole family takes it preventatively. And you know what? It is a drug. It's, a, it's an off-label, low-dose use of the drug naltrexone, but it acts more like a supplement, like a nutritional supplement. It, it actually raises endorphin levels, and what Dr. Bernard Bahari, its pioneer, says it modulates or strengthens the immune system. So it's a fan, it's a fascinating, fascinating um, uh, uh, off-label use of a drug that was actually FDA approved at higher doses for another purpose entirely. It's it's fascinating. Hmm. Wow. So, can you go to your own doctor and ask for prescription for that? Well, I mean, here's you know. the thing. Um, what I encourage people to do, you know, a lot of people, my dad used to say how people would come to him with copies of the Reader's Digest, you know. <laughs> they would say, I want to try this. Well, the Internet is is today's version of the Reader's Digest for my father. He was not <laughs> thrilled, you know. <laughs> oh, I know. Some doctors roll their eyes when you say, I, hear, I heard this on the Internet. Well, you know what? I have to. I have to hear. If you found that I wasn't uh, understanding about doctors in the past, I'm going to tell you that here I am because a lot of a lot of patients will bring like stacks of stuff, you know, from the internet and say, "I want to try this," you know, and the doctor will go, "Oh my God," you know, and then the patient often won't know a lot about the treatment. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, to, to be able to have an intelligent conversation. So I'm yeah. actually doing what I'm calling LDN coaching, low-dose naltrexone coaching, um, to help people to explain it to their doctors and to give them materials that will have a, a chance of convincing them. Because low-dose naltrexone is quite amazing. It uh, it, it's as I said, a low dose of a drug that was FDA approved for drug for drug addiction, actually for heroin addiction, and at very very low doses, this uh, doctor named Bernard Bahari found that it did uh, work for auto for diseases that are considered autoimmune or have an immune system dysfunction, like some cancers. And if you go online and look for what diseases are autoimmune, there are over a hundred of them. And they include Crohn's, fibromyalgia, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, oh, multiple sclerosis. A huge number of patients with MS are on low-dose naltrexone or LDN. Uh, lupus, um, chronic fatigue, just a whole host of, uh, of um, diseases and conditions. And low-dose naltrexone has been very effective, not for every single case, but for many, many, many cases of many of those hundred and more uh, conditions. It's re and the thing is that, yes, people need a doctor's prescription, and because it's not FDA-approved for autoimmune diseases, it, in, in 50 milligram doses, it is approved for drug addiction and alcohol addiction, but it's not approved for the lower dose. But, you know, doctors do drugs off, uh, prescribe drugs off-label all the time. So any doctor can prescribe it. 
And will your doctor prescribe it if you go to him or her? Sometimes, sometimes not. But there are there are patient advocates like out there that are working to help people to get their doctors to prescribe it. And as I said, I do do uh, coachings or trainings uh, to tell you how to how to have the best shot at it. And uh, there are lots of they, it has to be made specially by a compounding pharmacy. And lowdosenaltrexone.org, which is kind of do, it's Dr. Gluck's site. Um, it has a list of the compounding pharmacies that are known that have been doing this for years. So it is a chore. I think that was a long answer, and I'm sorry if it was too long, but it's a long <laughs> answer to describe that it's difficult, but it can be done. I, I'm questioning, does this also support uh, neurons, uh, neural um, kinds of health issues? It seems to. A, g- a great question. Um, some of the, you know, as I said, you know, a lot of the patients who take low-dose naltrexone uh, have multiple sclerosis, which is autoimmune, but it's also neurological. And one of the things that's most surprising that I didn't know about when I when I wrote, well, I knew, but I didn't have proof, you know, it actually has helped a lot of people with Parkinson's. And oh, that's where we're going, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And one woman named Lexi Lindstrom uh, is really out there doing a lot of radio and a lot of promotion, you know, because it literally turned her Parkinson's around. And uh, she's just so out there, you know, trying to get other Parkinson's patients to know about it. Because Parkinson's is, well, a lot of these conditions, autoimmune conditions, are diseases and conditions that, that big pharma actually does not often have very effective treatments, you know. Um, I actually spoke with somebody the other day who said that she's on, she has Parkinson's and L-DOPA is working great for her, and that's great. L-DOPA is one of the top, you know, drugs for Parkinson's. But for a lot of people, their drugs that their doctors are prescribing are not working. Yeah. Yeah, this is the problem. So low-dose naltrexone, it's so sad that the doctors don't know, more doctors don't know about it. So that's what we're trying to do, to get the word out there. Good, good. Because I go to a, a nurse practitioner and she prescribes things from uh, compound pharmacies. So oh, does I she will... might be very open to it? Yeah, I was going to just uh, open the door and have her look into it. That would be wonderful. Any doctor, you you made you made a very good point. Any doctor or nurse practitioner who already uses compounding pharmacies for other uses will be open to it. You know, more. Oh, let me put it this way: will tend to be more open to it than a doctor who will say, "Huh, what kind of pharmacy? Are you nuts?" You know. So oh. uh, it it sounds like your nurse practitioner is is on the way. <laughs> and I read I read somewhere t- uh, also I read that they were trying to close down compound pharmacies. Oh, that is a sad, sad state of affairs. There was one compounding pharmacy that was pro- profiled on 60 Minutes. It was in the it was in the Northeast. I know in I believe it was Massachusetts, and it had a very bad fungus that was uh, 
that was that that was carried by one of their injectable drugs, their compounded injectable drugs. But the truth is, when you talk to other compounding pharmacies, that this one was a bad apple. You know, it was a bad company. And they don't even consider it, I don't know the distinctions, but they don't even consider it an example of a compounding pharmacy. But, of course, the media picked up on it. And now the government is trying to step in and, and really clamp them down. And they have made some changes, about, especially about uh, transporting, uh, I believe, injectable um, compounded drugs across state lines. And, uh, you know, I'm not clear on the entire rule, but, but, yeah, there has been some awfully bad publicity. But that doesn't mean that there aren't some wonderful compounding pharmacies. Oh, I know. You know who really have stick... You- the letter of the law. Have you uh, found any other um, new methods, or since since your since your book has been out, have you explored other things that you may write about in the future? Good question. There's two answers to that. <laughs> One is that I'm working now on expanding the first, you know, honest medicine. And the reason for that is not that I just want a new expanded version, you know, but that so many new things have happened with the treatments that I have written about. For instance, um, low-dose naltrexone, the, the, the three chapters in my book in, in Honest Medicine by patients have all been about multiple sclerosis because at that time they were the most vocal uh, people, you know, who are taking LDN. Um, but since then, I mean, if you go on Facebook, oh, my God, there is an LDN for rheumatoid arthritis group. There is an LDN for chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia. You know, it's it's just out there. So I'm adding chapters with people with success stories about low-dose naltrexone with other conditions, with four other conditions. And the ketogenic diet, which we haven't talked about yet, it's a high fat, low-protein, low-carbohydrate diet, which has an interesting story behind it um, for pediatric epilepsy. Well, I am friends with the gentleman who is Mr. Ketogenic Diet, Jim Abrams. You know, he's one of the heroes of my book also. And he's telling me about studies that are now being done for ketogenic diet and glioblastomas, which are brain tumors, uh, by a Dr. Thomas Seafried, who's done, he's actually written a book about how this diet, you know, diets work for, for these kinds of conditions. It's also being looked at for Alzheimer's. It's also being looked at for brain injury. So I'm going to expand and tell a lot more, you know, about the different treatments that the the, the same treatments that I wrote about, but different uses. And um, you know, it's, and I'm also going to be adding a chapter on how to talk to your doctor about if there's a treatment that you want to try. And then the second answer to your question is, I'm looking into other treatments that have the same profile. You know, that they've been around for a long time. They've helped thousands of people. Um, they're inexpensive. I don't know if we've talked about that. I, I want to just push that, that all of the treatments I write about are much less expensive than the treatments that doctors like to prescribe. And there are several out there that I'm looking at very closely. And I may include a chapter in this book, you know, the upgraded version of, of treatments to look to, to watch for. 
And one of them has to do with, you know, clogged arteries, you know, uh, and another one for uh, joint problems. And um, so I, I am going to be expanding that, too. Great. I have a question. Um, I've noticed, and I've been around several people, uh, there's been some natural physicians that um, at look at working with seizures and epilepsy, and when bacon or uh, fat is added to their diet, the seizures um, cease. You're talking and, about a ketogenic diet or a variation there. Yeah, yeah. And um and this is really great and um uh, or maybe adding coconut oil or something like that. Something that's really yep. you know that the I always say the fluidness that's added to the body cuz people are so fearful if they eat anything fat they're going to be gaining or they're going to add fat to their body and literally they're adding health to their body because all of this is with all the GMO and all the um, disturbing rearrangement of foods um, genetically being produced um, are subtracting these this part of the nutrition that is really important for the body. Oh. And so when some of this is added back in, they find the success. And this is so exciting to know that you're doing this research and going forward on it. Uh, you know, it's just uh, the, the thing with the ketogenic diet that it makes me so sad. The diet doesn't make me sad. What makes me sad is that more people aren't aren't being told by their doctors about it. And Jim Abrams, he was the uh, writer, director, producer of the movie Airplane. Uh, you probably remember it. It's one of those funny movies from the, I believe, the 80s. Anyway, yeah. he's the one who's promoting the diet because it worked so well for his infant son, Charlie. And Jim has a website called charliefoundation.org where he has, he's been sending out a dietitian all over the world to train doctors and hospital staff on how to implement this diet. And it's, I know it's amazing. And it's now being done all over the world. And uh, but what I what what makes me sad is that a lot of doctors will say, as they said to Jim, "Don't try it. You know, drugs are much better," and that's that's terrible. Well, and then there's the cholesterol scare. I mean, a lot of people stay away from bacon and things like that because because of the cholesterol. Oh, that this you're bringing up a really good thing. They'll say, well, you shouldn't use the diet, the ketogenic diet, for your child because it'll have high cholesterol. What? You know? I mean, first of all, Millie Kelly, who is was the uh, dietitian at Johns Hopkins, you know, who kind of promoted the diet for many, many years. She worked at Hopkins for 50 years, um, helping parents with the diet. She says one of the patients, she also contributed a, cha- a chapter to Honest Medicine, to my book, and she says that there's one of her patients. First of all, the diet usually only has to be used for two years, around two years, and then the, and then the kid can go back to whatever he was eating and not have seizures. And, but Millie Kelly says there was one kid who actually the parent it was the parent kept the, the kid on the diet, and the kid is now an adult. And guess what? No high what? cholesterol, no high tri- triglycerides. You know, it just doesn't do that. And uh, and even if it did, isn't that better than having constant seizures? Yeah. Yes. 
So, but that's an interesting. That man, uh, Jim Abrams, is just tireless in going about, and you know, he 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 used to be a uh, successful Hollywood writer, director, producer, still is. Um, when my nephew was going to film school, he said, "Oh, can I meet Jim Abrams?" You know, so he's well known, and he's his his films are all taught about, you know, in their in their courses in school. But he's he's now devoted, and he's gotten. Um, I don't know if you've seen the movie. If if your listeners have seen the movie, first do no harm. It's with Meryl Streep, and uh, she's a friend of his. And she, he directed, produced a made-for-TV movie, um, starring Meryl Streep as a parent who, like Jim himself, had a child who was having constant seizures, and she wanted to try the ketogenic diet. She was absolutely discouraged by her doctors, but she finally got it, and the, the kid is doing well. So it's, it's a, a process to get doctors on board. It really is. So you have so to we be have in. A, uh, t- I was going to say, we haven't Her- touched upon um, alpha lip. Alpha-lipoic acid, and that's intravenous alpha-lipoic acid. It's a fascinating story behind that. May I tell it? Please. Yes, please. Okay. Dr. Bert Berkson, who is one of the heroes of my book, he's the one who wrote the chapter on the doctors are trained and not educated that I told you about. You would love his sense of humor, but, you know, he wasn't joking about that. But anyway, he was an intern many, many years ago. Um, He's in his, I believe, 70s now. And he was an intern and two patients were brought into the hospital where he was interning, and they had end-stage liver disease caused by eating poisonous mushrooms. And they, Dr. Berkson was told, these are your patients. You follow them. And by the way, they, uh, they aren't eligible for transplants, for, for liver transplants, but they're going to die. And we want you to follow them and take notes and uh, report at Grand Rounds about how they died. And Dr. Berkson says, I just couldn't do that. You know, I had to try to help them. So he called up a man named Dr. Fred Barter at the National Institutes of Health, and he said, is there anything that you know of that can regenerate failing livers, a failing liver? And Dr. Barter said, as a matter of fact, we're studying this intravenous alpha-lipoic acid, and we're studying it for diabetic neuropathy, you know, the, the lack of feeling in the, in the extremities with diabetes. And we're finding that those people who had liver problems, they're regenerating their livers. And would you like to try it? And Dr. Berkson said, I absolutely would. So Dr. Barter sent him some via airplane, and he picked it up at the airport, and he infused it into his patients. And lo and behold, his patient's livers started regenerating. Well, wouldn't you think the doctors would be excited about this? Yes. They weren't. <laughs> Just Probably like, remember that story I told you about the silver lawn? And they said, yeah. they said it wasn't that that it worked. Yeah. Well, in his case, they just got furious with him. They said, you did something we told you. We told you to watch these patients die, and you didn't do that. You actually went behind our backs, and you found something that, you know, you weren't supposed to find. And he said, well, are you curious as to what I you No, 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 we're not curious. But what we can tell you is do not do that again. So 
the next weekend, as, as Dr. Bergson says, poisonous mushrooms were in bloom, you know. <laughs> and the next weekend, another couple came in with liver poisoning, you know, with, with mushroom poisoning, end-stage liver disease. And he still had some intravenous alpha-lipoic acid left, and he infused it into the patients, and they also got better. Well, then, Dr. Fred Barter from the NIH, from the National Institutes of Health, was so excited about this that he came and Dr. Berkson and Dr. Barter together did a study of 79 patients with end-stage liver disease, gave them venous alpha-lipoic acid. How many do you think got better? All of them, 100%. (laughs) Almost. 75 out of the 79. Wow. Got better. Now, that have you ever heard of a drug trial that has that big, good, good a result? No. So here's the thing. <laughs> Dr. Bergson says, had Dr. Barter not been my biggest fan, you know, he says, I would have lost my job for sure, you know, because what could they do? They couldn't fire him because the NIH is coming in and they're, you know, making Dr. Bergson, you know, a big star, you know. So he just said, you know what, I'm not really good with institutional medicine. So he decided that he was going to have a private practice in Las Cruces, New Mexico, where he's been practicing for many years, and people come from all over the world to be treated by intravenous alpha-lipoic acid, especially for liver disease, for hepatitis C, for cirrhosis, and uh, also with low-dose naltrexone for many cancers. One of the stories in my book, one of the contributions, uh, is by a man who had uh, stage 4 pancreatic cancer and was was helped a great deal by, by uh, intravenous alpha-lipoic acid and low-dose naltrexone. The other story in the book is by Mary Jo Bean, who had a combination, are you ready for this, of hepatitis C and cirrhosis, and she was very fond of saying, I didn't get those two things from the ways you're supposed to normally get them. I didn't drink, and I didn't have sex, you know. <laughs> she got it from, from an infusion, you know, from a uh, from blood transfusion. And uh, she was really on, on death's doorstep. And then she found Dr. Berkson. She went to Las Cruces, and uh, the rest is history. She's still alive today. And uh, she just, you know, it, that's the thing about my book, that the people who are, have gotten better with these treatments are so grateful that they're not getting paid to tell their stories, you know, but they're so grateful that these treatments, that they found these treatments. I mean, they point out to me when we were writing the book, you know, that it was like a miracle that these treatments even popped into their, into their, uh, into their, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, consciousness. And, you know, they feel so lucky that they want to help other people so that they won't have to just fuddle around without finding anything. So that's why they are so passionate about getting my book out, and they're they're so passionate about getting the word out about these treatments. Well, you know now what? In, uh, we have had a huge. Paula, I was going to ask. Oh, I was going to ask. Do you know because they have a lot of cancer treatment um, medical places in Mexico? Do you know if they use any of these drugs? I don't know. That's that's a very good question. I think the ones in Mexico. Um, I, I, the answer is I don't know, but my guess is 
that each one of them, I could be wrong, has other treatments that they use, but I am def I'm not sure. Um what I can tell you is that the uh you know, the cancer places like uh like M D Anderson and Sloan Kettering, they do not. And that's a shame that they're not more open. Um, you know, I would imagine that the ones in Mexico are more open, but I don't really know the answer to that question. Sorry. Okay. We, well, you know, right now we are really fortunate. We've had a few huge planetary eclipses, and uh, what that does is it brings in a frequency on the planet that allows people's consciousness to change, and um, it it's. people will feel like they're uh, bolder and they're able to make decisions that honor more of who they are and um, and they won't be in that normal limited patterning. Um, It's like the soul is being loosened up (laughs) and people are are more flexible and, and I really see that a book such as yours um, can can really open the pages of one's life and and allow them to want to check things out and you're giving people a chance to do that that is that is very it's very beautiful it is thank you thank you and you and, know what I wish that there were some book like mine around when I was going through you know when I was taking oh, yeah. care of my husband. We were kind of out there all alone, and that's one of the reasons why I'm out there. I love being on radio because I can get the word out to several people, many people at once, you know, because it's just not something that was available to me when, or to my husband when he was sick. Uh, Julia, we have, um, first of all, we're talking with Julia Shopik. Her website is honestmedicine.com. And I would like to know, you said you're working on another book. When is this other book going to be out? Well, this other book, you know, I, I, I still have to do my uh, PR business, which which I, I love, you know. Um, it hopefully will be out within the year, hopefully. And okay. uh, I'm not a very quick, I'm a quick writer of shorter things, but a book is, a book is like giving birth, isn't it? You know. <laughs> well, you need but all it, the back references and everything to go along with it, and so, believe me, we understand that. I'm so particular, but, you know. If if there's a link in my book that doesn't work, I'm like, oh my god, what have I done? You know. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Is, is well, this book an expansion of the new medicine book that's out now, or is it a completely different book? No, it'll be basically the same the same book, but with additions to it. Okay. Great. Because right. I do feel it's important to tell people about the work being done on low-dose naltrexone, on the ketogenic diet. And I have an interview set up with Dr. Berkson to find out what's new on the horizon with intravenous alpha-lipoic acid. So mm-hmm. I think I'll be able to add to what's in the book. Otherwise, why, I wouldn't put it out, you know. But I want it to be to have a lot more. And as a matter of fact, I was recently talking to a friend who says, you know, while I was reading about the ketogenic diet, I was wondering, how about the new study? She's one who's very, one who's very up on, you know. And I said, well, that's what will be in there, you know. <laughs> well, you, we have about one minute left. And so is there anything that we 
haven't touched upon you want to be able to say and um, be sure that we um, uh, you let us know when this interview is going to happen. <laughs> Sounds good. By the way, I will promote. You have you have uh, on on Blog Talk Radio. It has uh, links to the uh, interviews that have been done, right? Yes. Oh, right. Okay. I will yep. promote it on my Facebook. I'm active on my own Facebook. And I'm active. I, I have a Facebook page for my book, and I'm active in a lot of the low-dose naltrexone uh, pages, so I will promote it. And one last thing I'd like to say is please, people, you know, listen to your doctor when things are working, but you'll know when things are not working. And the doctor, when the doctor says there's nothing else to be done, think of the rest of the sentence being that I know of that I've oh, been taught about because there can be things that can be done in so many cases. And that's a terrible thing for doctors to say, I think, you know, that there's nothing else that can be done. It it makes you just give up. And so the answer is follow your gut. Well, it's like a lot of people, they say you you have two years to live, and it's a, a, that puts it in your head, and then people... <gasps> die exactly at two years just because oh you know what i wrote an article i know we don't have time but for the uh american medical associations am news and it was should doctors tell the truth you know what i'm talking about that you're going to die right and my answer yeah. was no they should just be quiet you know? <laughs> <laughs> because as well, you said the, the patients will die at the time the doctor says you got six months there's proof that they will die in six months many times yeah. yep well, it kind of shorts well, your energy to want to go forward. Thank you, Julia, for being with us. Julia Shopak, you're, you're definitely um, a, a brilliant in your I delivery, have, and we thank you so much for being that way. I hope you'll invite yeah. me back. I would love to come oh, back we sometime. Will. We've learned so much today, and so I'm sure our listeners will have learned when they listen to the show again, because it's going to replay again. And uh, there's just so much knowledge in this show and in your book. So everybody should have honest medicine in in their bookshelf. It was (laughs) a pleasure. Thank Uh you, Julia. Okay, thank you both. Uh Bye-bye.